When it comes to history, we all make it, and we all read about it, and she writes about it. And write about it, she does. Our guest, Holly Snaith, is a historian who specializes in 20th century U.S. history. Wait till you hear what she has to say about Frank Sinatra and Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, I'm particularly fond of history, and, you know, we all can learn from the past. You know, this episode is going to be an eye-opening episode. Hi, everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice. And we share with you how you can live and be more creative. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Robe Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen. And we focus on sharing with everyone how they can be and think and live more creatively with their own passions. Yes, and we can all benefit from being more creative in our lives, I think. Absolutely. Well, Angie, why don't you tell us who our guest is today? I'm excited. Our guest today is Holly Snaith. She's a writer, researcher, historian, and editor. She has some really fascinating stories about people that we all know in recent history. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode. Yeah. I like history anyway. Uh, but first, how about let's hear from your quote. Oh, okay. So the quote for today is, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Okay. Whose quote is that? You know, I'm not going to tell you <laughs> because we're going to reveal that later on during our interview. It's a mystery. It is a mystery, a but little. I do, I do want to make one quick comment about that excellent quote. Yes. And that is the part about the beauty of their dreams, or better yet, the beauty of our dreams. We all have dreams, and they can be really beautiful, and they can be very meaningful. So true. Great quote. Thank you. And I, and, and I can't wait to discuss it more a little bit later in the, the interview. But now, Rod, it's going to be time for your Rod's Motivational Moment. Okay, my yeah. motivational moment. My motivational moment is going to come out of our interview today. Boy. And there is a lot of positive motivation in this episode. So, you know what? Let's get started. Okay. Holly, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. We're glad to have a historian with us, and you definitely fall into the category of someone who truly is creative. Yes. Hi, Holly. I also love your hashtag on LinkedIn, which is History with Holly. It sounds like a TV show. It should be a TV show. It should. I know you have a lot to share when it comes to your career as a writer. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and I'm so glad you love my hashtag because I... And it will be a TV show next. Hopefully, next yes. <laughs> I like but, it. But, you know, I was, I was sitting around one day thinking about something fun I could do for Instagram uh -huh. to kind of reflect my brand. And it just came to me, History with Holly. That kind of makes it seem a little bit more fun and interesting. So I just took it and I ran with it on LinkedIn and Instagram. And so I'm glad to hear 
someone actually likes it. I thought it was a little corny at first. But no. Oh, absolutely no, not. Think, it's I memorable. Think it's really good for your brand. It resonates well, mm-hmm. and you know we remember it. It's very memorable when you when you see it. You're like, oh, that sounds like a, a program. This is really great. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Well, Thank before, you. you're well, welcome. Work, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Holly. So before we officially start the interview, we always like to ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have for breakfast? This morning I had oatmeal with brown sugar and blueberries and a piece of toast with apple butter. I love apple butter. Oh, oh yeah. so good. I don't know if you guys do or not. Yes, love absolutely. It. The best apple butter is at the Apple Barn in Sevierville, Tennessee. So if you're ever in East Tennessee, check out the Apple Barn. I've been eating it since I was two years old. Ooh. So that is a must-have for breakfast with my toast. Look, that classic. sounds delicious. It's Apple butter so good. Yeah, it is good. It's surprising how many people that we've asked that question to eat oatmeal and they blueberries. They have oatmeal and blueberries in the yeah. morning. So, yeah. Well, Pretty healthy. We I'll must- be honest. <laughs> There was there was no cereal left. I ran out of cereal, so it had to be oatmeal. That was all I had. <laughs> but that was healthy, though, and, but and really good. good too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. So, Holly, please share with us where you're originally from and uh, where you grew up. So, I was born and raised in a town in Northwest Florida called Fort Walton Beach, and known for the beautiful white sand beaches and um, some crazy spring breaks that happened there. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty popular at spring break time, but it's it's really a beautiful place, and I grew up there right by the water, and uh, I lived there until I was 18, and then I moved to Gainesville to be a Florida Gator. So Fort Walton Beach is always going to be home for me. Okay. Do you have a favorite childhood memory from that area? It's hard to just single out one memory, but so many of my happiest memories were outside. Um, My dad was a baseball coach, and so my mom always made sure that I went to every single baseball game that my dad had. And I just, I remember sitting at those games with my mom and with my grandfather and just talking about all the calls that the umpire made and what was good and what was bad. And then just going out there and playing with the boys and riding the three wheeler. And, and then after school, my friends and I, we would be outside in the street playing baseball, basketball. We'd be out there until dark, until the bats started flying. <laughs> and then our moms were, <laughs> our moms were calling at us to come inside. It's time to come in. And so I just loved being outside and playing sports and being with my friends and my family and just, I'm still an outdoor girl. I just, whenever I'm inside, I'm just itching to get out. What was that that you mentioned? I heard you say something about gator. What was that? Oh, something. I became a Florida gator. Yeah. University uh, of Florida. University oh, of Florida. Okay, okay, okay. Now I got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you were out hunting so them. Were you getting the gators <laughs> or what? Yeah. Hunting them? No. No, but I have eaten a gator. Do you like it? I've had gator. Um, it was okay. I don't think I would do it again, but I tried it at least. Yeah, you were curious. I mean, I think anyone would be at that point. So, well, when you're in Gainesville, there's all kinds of things that are put on your plate. So, <laughs> <laughs> you just eat it, right? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. 
Well, we know that you're a historian that specializes in 20th century history. What led you to pursue this career? I have always loved history, and I kind of say that I'm an old soul, and I always have been, because when I was a little girl and my friends were watching SpongeBob SquarePants, I was watching I Love Lucy Mm. and the Golden Girls and listening to Tammy Wynette. So I was always an old soul and I loved the history. And then as I got older, started taking history classes in middle school and then high school, I was just always um, attracted to these different historical topics. In middle school, it was the Romanovs and then it became the Windsors and then Lucille Ball and classic Hollywood and classic TV shows and then on to the Roosevelt in high school. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school and I attended the collegiate high school at Northwest Florida State College. Yeah. So I had to declare a major in 10th grade for college. And at first it was going to be psychology. And, um, and then I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I really like history. And there are people that say, you can't make money in history, but that was my interest. And then I started researching the Roosevelt when I was in the 10th grade. And then I had my eyes set on New York, going to Hyde Park to work at the FDR library. Mm. So, and I did that three years later, I was doing that. Oh, So wow. history was just, was just it for me. And I have been able to carve kind of my own path as a historian. And I'm so glad that I did change my major and, and pursue history because it's it's done a lot for me and I still love it. Well, it's obvious when we read the articles and mm-hmm. books that you've written, yeah. you really uh, understand how to interpret it. But probably more importantly, you interpret it in such a way that people, when they read it, they really understand it and they feel your passion that comes through. You know, I have a a thing kind of related to what you just said. You know, there's an old adage out there, an old quote, that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. When you've done your research and when you write, what does that quote mean to you? Well, you're right. That is the famous quote. But honestly, that's not something, that's not a quote that I often think about when I set out to write an article. Because the way I look at it, when I start to research someone in history, I'm usually inspired by them in some way. So when I start to tell their story, I want it to be inspirational and uplifting for others. I want them to take, I want my audience to take something out of it that will make them feel better. I don't write to teach per se. Mm-hmm. I just write to inform and enlighten. And there are historians that, that do try to teach lessons, I think, through their writing. But that's not what I really um, see myself as doing as a historian. I just like to inspire and inform and enlighten And then I hope that someone takes something really inspirational away from my writing because Mm -hmm. it's just telling a story. I I like to tell good stories. I think you're extremely talented in that area because when I've read your writing, I really enjoy it. It's story-like. You know, it's like you're you're hearing a story for the first time about someone who maybe typically you would have known their history through a history class somewhere. Yes. 
right. And I have considered going into um, teaching history, but I just like to tell stories because I know that for students, it's hard sometimes to be sitting in the classroom and they're just all of these dates and facts are being right. kind of drilled into their brains for the test that they have to take. So I just wanted to change my approach and make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more lighthearted and entertaining and just tell a good story. Well, also, it, it, I, I feel like you're you're making it so they're an actual real person instead of just mm-hmm. the facts and figures that you see in a history book and it's kind of dry and boring. You make them into real people. And that's something that, you know, that's when it resonates with someone's brain and they can remember things and they start to have almost like a relationship with them. So they remember these these people as people and less of a historical figure that they can't relate to. Yeah, and even if you show their vulnerabilities. They're, yeah. Showing their vulnerabilities. Being I people. Think, exactly. yeah, being people. You can relate They're to them. They're all human beings. Right, right. They're all human beings. And I also don't, whenever I write, I don't like to write and try to pick out people's faults mm-hmm. and where they went wrong because there, you know, there are plenty of writers, journalists, historians that do that. And I, I don't, I really don't feel comfortable with doing that. I just would like to, that's not to say that these people are perfect because no one is of mm-hmm. course, but you know, just, just look at their overall story, look at where they came from, how they got to where they are, who they became, um, their legacy and what they've left behind. That's that's the story I want to tell. But see, that's that's a that's good way right, to do it. That's yeah, that's the right story. That's the right, right story. story to tell instead of sitting there being salacious and all that. Right on, right on. Exactly, exactly. Now, Holly, you've written numerous articles on what everyone would agree are fascinating historical figures. They include President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his wife, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Tell us why you chose this formidable couple to write about. Well, I first read Eleanor Roosevelt's autobiography in the 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I read that book... I knew, of course, who they were. They were probably the most famous first couple we've ever had. And I think that the work that they did together was probably the most impactful of any first couple. Um, Granted, they did have 12 years in the White House, so they had more time than the others. But I was just really captivated by both of them, not just her. And it was her book, but just reading about all that they both had to overcome mm-hmm. in their personal lives and politically, especially with FDR and the polio and Eleanor Roosevelt in her childhood, just growing up a very insecure young lady. And then she turned into be Eleanor Roosevelt, the first lady of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I read her book, I just wanted more. So I read No Ordinary Time by Doris Kearns Goodwin, which is one of my favorite books on the Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. And yeah. went to and I went to Warm Springs, Georgia. And that place is just magical. I recommend anybody, I re- recommend for everybody to go there because that is a different side of FDR. That is the FDR who started the first polio rehabilitation hospital for polio patients. Mm-hmm. And around there, he was just Dr. Roosevelt. That's what they called him. 
And so that's just a different Roosevelt that we don't hear so much about. And um, then in high school, I chose to do my senior capstone project on FDR and the March of Dimes. So I was able to intern in Warm Springs, Georgia for oh, that project. Great. That's wonderful. And that was just, I mean, I was in heaven when I got to do that. And then after college, I said, my dream is to just go to the FDR library, intern there, see what happens. But that was my ultimate goal. And then when I was 20 years old, that dream came true and I ended up staying there for two years. So oh, I have wow. had really so much fun researching the Roosevelt. It's just been a huge blessing. It's just so many good things. I've met incredible people through my work and family members of theirs, grandchildren. It's, it's just, it's really been a wonderful experience and I still love reading about them and watching the Ken Burns documentary. And I can never get enough of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. Well, you certainly have done them justice in everything that I have read that you've written. Um, you know, it's kind of in a strange way, history is kind of repeating itself with what's going on in the world today. And as you know, President Roosevelt had to initiate the New Deal to help our country get through the Depression. And now because of COVID-19, our country uh, definitely is in need of a modern day New Deal. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's not uncommon to hear in the news or hear from a candidate that we need a new New Deal. And of course, John, John F. Kennedy had the New Frontier and then Lyndon Johnson, the Great Society, and on and on. Um, the New Deal was exactly what we needed at that time in American history. The unemployment rate was 25%. Mm. And thankfully, we have not seen a number like that since the Great Depression. But I also think that American society and Americans in general were very different people back then. And for the most part, even if they didn't vote for FDR, they knew that we needed the three R's, relief, recovery, and reform. Mm -hmm. Today, the environment is so different. We seem to be so divided, we can't even agree exactly on what's, what's happening right now. And right. I think social media has definitely exasperated our differences and caused more tension and more fire out there. So I think America, we as the people, of course, the leader, we do need a strong leader who knows politics, who can work with Congress and the Senate, and also has a great deal of empathy for what's happening. But the American people have to be on board too. And I think we have some work to do. I think we need to cool down a little bit and mm -hmm. come back together and unite and remember that we're all in this together. We have so much more in common than we do different. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's, there's some work to be done, but I do believe that we can get there because we do need something like the New Deal again. But it's going to take some time and, and some more work. Yeah, that you articulated that, that, is, that beautifully, was beautifully and so, put, yeah. and from our perspective, very accurately mm -hmm. uh, and very insightful. And you're right; it was a different time. People were different back then, and you know, unfortunately, things have changed, and they will continue to change. And 
few more generations from now, you won't even recognize this generation. So it's hard to say what the exactly. future will hold. But I'm glad you you stated it the way you did. Very mm-hmm. insightful. Very much so. Well, I'm optimistic, of course. I think we should all try to be as optimistic as possible and, and stay positive and just... Um, I think I think it can happen. It's going to take time, but I think we're making progress. Mm-hmm. Well, as a historian, you know that world history is what's the word rife mm-hmm. uh, with scenarios that have taken place that have gone up and come down and society, mankind, right. for some reason, somehow always manages to figure it out sooner or later and work through it. And there's a better day. And I suspect there's a better day coming now. So. Um, we agree with you completely. Definitely. You know, you were talking yeah, about... I agree with that. Too. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at my notes here, and I wanted to um, talk about Eleanor Roosevelt just a tiny bit, because you've written so many fascinating stories about Eleanor Roosevelt, and what an excellent first lady she was. Share with us what you consider to be one or more of her greatest accomplishments. Well, she always considered her greatest accomplishment to be drafting the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. And and I have to agree with, with what she said there because, well, not just the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but her work with the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Because she was, the, she was the first female delegate to be appointed to the UN in 1946. And she almost did not take that appointment from Harry Truman. And, and I can understand why, because her husband had just passed away. She had been first lady for 12 years, and she was always so associated with FDR and the New Deal, and then, of course, World War II and, and getting America through the war. Right. So she was just ready to take a step back and live a more private life with her children and grandchildren and close friends in Hyde Park. But thankfully, she had really good friends and family that recognized there was still a lot of work left in Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And really, her best days were ahead. Those 17 years in between the time FDR died in 1945 and she died in 1962, she went nonstop. She did not stop. And she did some of her best work, some of her best writing. And of course, the UDHR, which was passed in 1948. So I would definitely have to say that is one of her greatest accomplishments. And then just the fact that she was able to overcome so much tragedy in her childhood, mm-hmm. um, a lot of hurt in her personal life and in her relationship with her husband, her mother-in-law, close friends, her children. There was a lot that could have knocked her down and discouraged her. Mm-hmm. But she kept going. She soldiered on. She didn't completely get over it, but she knew what she had to do. She knew in her heart what was best and what needed to be done. And she was really tireless in her efforts in doing what she thought was best. And no journalist, anything that was said about her could not stop her. Yeah, she lived up to the challenge. And also those challenges were presented to her and she figured out a way to uh, make, make it good. Make for them everyone. work for her yeah. involvement in as a person. And, and society yeah. too, and people. De- definitely, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's definitely, I think, one of the most inspirational figures in 
not just American history, but world history, just her quotes and her wisdom. She, she wrote 27 books. Uh, she, and then the My Day column, she started writing her daily column in 1936. And that did not stop until just a couple of months before her death in 1962. Oh, so that's 26 years of writing a daily column and then writing 27 books, working with the United Nations and then civil rights, all of the stuff that she did. Uh, she was just really a remarkable woman. Well, as a writer, Holly, you have a lot to live up to here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way. I gave up that thought a long time ago. <laughs> you know, as much as I hate to move out of the political history, because it's fascinating to me and I'm sure to our listeners, yeah. um, but uh, some of the people you've written about that are, they're famous entertainers. So why don't we start with Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra, and I can't even hum one of his songs right now. <laughs> well, there's, no one like Frank Sinatra. I mean, what a guy he was. What an entertainer, the chairman of the board. So, of course, I remember listening to his music as a kid in New York, New York, at New Year's Eve in New York City when the ball would drop. But I didn't know a whole lot about Sinatra until I read his wife, Barbara's autobiography called Lady Blue Eyes. And I believe it was published in 2011. So mm -hmm. I just picked up that book and started reading it. And I just realized, really, what a complex, but talented, smart, funny, compassionate guy Sinatra really was mm -hmm. underneath it all. I know it's kind of hard to imagine Sinatra as being really funny and compassionate sometimes, but he was. And... um so I just really started reading more about Sinatra. And one thing that I'm really glad I got to do was I got to meet Barbara Sinatra when I became involved with the Barbara Sinatra Children's Center in Rancho Mirage when I was living in California. Mm -hmm. And I was able to sit down next to her and tell her how much I admired her and her husband for their work and their heart for the children. And then, of course, Sinatra for, for his talent and his music. And she ended up passing away a few months later. So that's just a moment that I really treasure. Oh, for sure. But, you know, Sinatra, I just, I still research Sinatra. Whenever there's a new documentary out or sometimes a new book, I just have to read it because he's one of those figures. Again, I can't get enough of him and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., mm -hmm. Peter Lawford, the whole Rat Pack, the whole Rat Pack. That is just an era that I love. It was fun. They they were crazy, but they were entertaining, and they all knew what they were doing. I know Dean Martin did because I used to photograph him. You know, it's really interesting oh, about wow. your interpretation of Frank Sinatra. Um, you know, people recognize his music and when they hear one of his songs they know immediately who it is they recognize his voice and mm -hmm. and then but a lot of times we forget that these people have personal lives they've done a lot of major they've helped out in charities they've done a lot of good social work they've been very supportive right. to other people other entertainers i the thing i always thought was really interesting about frank sinatra is when he would do a performance he would always give credit to the writers. 
This is another song that was written by Sammy Cohn right. or whatever his name was. Yeah, you know, Cohen. and he would just give credit to them. I thought that was really quite brilliant because I don't really remember too many entertainers giving credit to the composers or the people That's that true. that uh, wrote the actual songs or wrote the lyrics. And he was really yeah. good at that. And I think that it also gave a little personal side about how he was as a human person and how he so much uh, appreciated what he was actually singing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, who would these singers be without the writers, right? Yeah. True. Very he true. He wouldn't be Sinatra. And then I think it's also kind of cool to say that Sinatra in Palm Springs, when I would hang out around there, you would hear stories about him reading the newspaper about someone who maybe their home burned down or their mother was in the hospital. And then he would just write an anonymous check to cover the damage or cover the hospital bill. Wow. And that they would never know who wrote the check. See but that. he would just do that out of the goodness of his heart. See, what a generous guy, my goodness. Yeah. A good Samaritan, really. And he wanted to be anonymous, which makes it even more like special, I think. Yeah, he wasn't looking for the credit. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't out there looking for the glory and yeah. That. Well, that's just a genuine human being. It really, really good is. Person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that with yeah, us. Yeah, that's I such mean, a great story to hear. And about I, him. I really encourage people to read what you have written about Frank Sinatra. Um, I've read several pieces, and I think they're pretty amazing and insightful. And uh, there will be more. Yeah, yeah, good for you. Because even when we chatted about this, you know, I don't want to get into this right now, but we talked about the helo pad on his property, and we'll leave that for people to discover. Yeah, they'll have to they, read about it when you write. It. Yeah, yeah, because I thought that was a pretty fascinating yeah. story in itself. So you're up next, Ingie. Yeah, you know, I know we were talking earlier about you living in Nashville, Tennessee, which always sounds so gorgeous to me because my father was from Tennessee. And um, I know that you are lucky enough to visit the Ryman Auditorium, which is, everyone would know it as the Grand Old Opry. And um, I know you've been writing about country singer Loretta Lynn, which I adore. A favorite of mine. Yes. Tell us a little bit about her and writing about her. How was it? Well, first of all, the Ryman Auditorium was the Grand Ole Opry until 1974. Mm-hmm. So now there's there's a new Opry. So there's kind of two Opry's here, but the Ryman Auditorium is the mother church. Mm-hmm. And that's in a different area in Nashville. But the new Grand Ole Opry, it's bigger, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. And they always just have so many wonderful performers perform at the Opry. Mm-hmm. But Loretta Lynn, she is, she is a real treasure. I just adore her. And she is so fun to research because she's just honest. Whatever is in her mind, she says it. And she's <laughs> real and she's genuine. I never feel like she's trying to hold anything back or, or hide something. She just is who she is. And she's just saying to the world, you know, take me as I am, love me or leave me. And, um, you know, I grew up listening to her and Conway mm-hmm. because my grandparents, my grandparents loved that classic country. And so it's pretty cool that it's kind of come full circle with me. And now I'm writing about so many of these wonderful people, but I didn't know much about her story. Yeah. So I was flipping through the channels and saw the movie Coal Miner's Daughter. 
So once I saw that movie, I was just hooked on Loretta. And then I read her autobiography, Coal Miner's Daughter. Uh-huh. And I really recommend for your listeners to read that because that's, you know, that's her story. And they actually published it again last year, uh-huh. a new version of the book. So they'll have to pick that up and just read her amazing story. But she is just, you know, she's a legend, but she's also a real human who surrounds herself with her family, um, a wonderful team, mm-hmm. wonderful friends, and her fans. When I wrote this article on her for American Heritage Magazine mm-hmm. in 2020, which was a huge deal for me, that was my first published piece in the magazine. So that was just a big deal. Mm-hmm. But the responses that I got from people, I got messages from people in France, Wales, Ireland, and then all across the United States saying, you have no idea how much Loretta Lynn means to me. And it was just, you know, it really touched my heart because I had no idea I would get responses like that. I just thought people would say really cool article. She's a cool lady. I love, you know, her song, you ain't woman enough or this city or whatever. Right. But to hear how people personally connect to her, that was just something really new to me. And I told members of her team, her, Mm -hmm. uh, her assistant, Tim Cobb, who runs her museum and hurricane Mills. And I told him this, I said, you guys hear this all the time. Right. But me, I'm just a historian who wrote an article and I'm getting these stories from people and it's really heartwarming. But, you know, I think a lot of these singers, maybe more so the classic country singers, mm-hmm. they really made these strong connections with their fans, so much so where they feel like they're family. Uh, and that's that's very much how it is with Loretta. I, I could so see that. I just, Yeah, because she's real and she's always been very open and you can go visit her ranch where her home is and Mm -hmm. visit her home and see where her kids were raised. And it's just, you know, yes, she is Loretta Lynn. She is known for wearing those beautiful beaded ball gowns that Tim Cobb designed. But yet she's also just a human being and a wife and a mother, simple country girl, basically. That's her heritage. That is her heritage. And congratulations, by the way, on on your article. That's really a, a, quite an accomplishment, and especially since it's resonating with people and they all over the world. Yeah, and they want to write and 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 tell you something about it. That's that's very meaningful. That says a lot because a lot of people yeah. will think it, but they don't. Yeah, necessarily they never actually do it. do it. So it's really meaningful right. that they're taking the time out to contact you. So very cool. And I almost did not write that article because. As much as I loved Loretta, I thought, can I really do her justice? I, I just thought, you know, here I am. I've worked at the FDR Library and then the Richard Nixon Library mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. So the political history was my thing. That was all I really knew at the time. So I wanted to do something on Loretta and, and do something for her. But then I was like, I don't know much about country music history. Can I really do that? Should I go there? Right. And I I did. And I'm so glad I did because so many doors have opened since then. And now I research classic country music and country music history all the time now. 
So it's just really, it's amazing how those things work out, but I'm glad I went for it. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the, you definitely are on the right path. Apparently, the magazine was glad. Yes, you went and the magazine for it too, was glad they too. Published it. Congratulations yes. on that. You know, somewhere Thank along, you. somewhere along the line, I heard you say, if I read it or what, you have that quote that people always like to hang their hat on as a picture is worth a thousand words. And you also wrote about Marilyn Monroe, and perhaps in her case, a picture is worth a thousand yeah. words. Why Why did you write about Marilyn? Well, I didn't really want to write on Marilyn Monroe at the beginning, but the company that I was doing some writing for, they had given me the liberty of choosing some of the topics and subjects such as Frank Sinatra and, and Audrey Meadows and Dean Martin. So I was able to pick those. And then they came to me with Marilyn Monroe. And I was a little hesitant at first because I just, I knew a couple of her movies, but I really thought of her image, right? The blonde bombshell, the plated ditzy blonde. Mm-hmm. And as a blonde myself, a natural blonde, I don't always know how to feel about that stereotype. But as I started researching her, I realized how much she cared about her craft, which was acting. Mm -hmm. And the lesson that she did with um, Lee Strasberg. But it was her her battle with Fox, which is what I wrote about in my Marilyn Monroe article on Medium, Uh that really stuck out to me because first of all, it showed how much she did care about how she was as an actress and how far she was willing to go to gain control of her career and the films that she starred in. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, she, she had a vision and she was persistent and she was not going to continue to be used by a major studio. And so many other actresses would have just probably gone along with it because they didn't want to lose their contract and their livelihood, which is understandable. Right. But she went with she went with Milton Green and formed her own production company. So she always had a plan and she was very smart and she knew what she was doing. And I hope that listeners will read that article on Marilyn Monroe because it really it shows the side of her that we don't always hear about that side. But it's it's really sad how at the end, just as she was gaining control of her career, personally she was Spiraling. Yeah, yeah, that's very unfortunate. Yeah. You know, we listen or watch, I should say, on TCM, the movies and the old movies that we both especially like those. Yeah. But I like the fact that now when they talk about Marilyn Monroe and they talk about a movie that she's in and how incredible uh, of an actress she was when given the chance. Yeah. And unfortunately, as you pointed out in your article, she wasn't always given the chance to really uh, present herself as a great actress because when you see some of these movies that she actually had the opportunity to act in and not not be her typical stereotype, she's a pretty amazing actress. She's really good. Yeah, she was. She was very. She was a very good actress, and like I said, she cared, and so she went through those classes with Strasburg, and she really exhausted herself um, by trying to perfect her craft, which is which is something we all should do, honestly, whatever we're doing, whether it be writing, acting, whatever, we should all try to be as, Mm -hmm. we'll never be perfect, but as good as we can be in what we do. 
Yeah, practice, practice, practice. Exactly. That's right. Well, you know, I'm going to revert back to Eleanor Roosevelt just for a second because I made a note about this one famous quote she has. And the quote is, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Um, how do you think our listeners that are all about creativity should interpret this quote? That's always been a favorite quote of mine. I actually had it put in the yearbook, in my senior yearbook underneath my senior portrait. And then <laughs> oh, on, my, on, on my college graduation <laughs> invitations, huh. it was on there as well. So I've always loved that quote and I've always, you know, believed in the beauty of my dreams, especially going to the SDR library and then working at Eleanor Roosevelt's home, Val Hill. Those were two huge dreams of mine and they were able to come true. But of course, you know, that's changed as I've gotten older and, and I hope that it just encourages people, the people who are listening to this, who are really wanting to be more creative and lean into that creative side of themselves. Just to, first of all, believe that your dreams are worth investing time and energy into, and they are beautiful. Because if you don't believe in the beauty of your own dreams, how can you possibly convince anyone else how wonderful your dreams are? Because I do believe that, you know, whenever we have a dream, or at least every dream I've had, I can't do it completely on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, We do need to have, we do need to ask for help. And for me, as a spiritual person, I pray about my dreams. And then I pray for the right people to come into my life to help me make those dreams come true. So whenever you have a dream, really become invested in it. Just really, you know, get on board with what you want to do and then set your goals and execute a plan on making that dream come true. But just believe in it. Put your whole heart into it and go after it. Great. Such good advice. Such I'm like, advice. I'm listening intently because I, you put that into such perfect words and I think that... There's so many creative people that feel a little like, oh, I don't know. I got to do it all myself and I need to not right. rely upon others. And that is not true at and all. They don't trust. They and, don't trust. And they themselves. don't trust themselves and they don't trust that things are going to progress. So thank you. What a yeah. great. Yeah. That was excellent. Yeah. Great advice. You know, we haven't mentioned that you have also written books and one in particular was about Audrey Meadows. And I'm probably going to date myself here quite a bit, actually. (laughs) Uh, But I remember as a little boy, and maybe I wasn't quite that little, uh, my parents would watch The Honeymooners. And uh, Alice played... Oh, Audrey Meadows played Alice. Yeah, played Alice Crampton. See, I was was too young to truly remember. Right, exactly. (laughs) But why did did you write about her? I always thought, you know, as a younger person, you don't necessarily get what all was going on with the Honeymooners, but that was an extremely (laughs) popular television show, extremely popular. Oh, yeah, I think it's one of the best TV shows of all time to be honest with you. It's right up there with I Love Lucy and, and mm-hmm. Seinfeld and well, so many other great especially shows. With Jackie, especially with Jackie Gleason oh, yeah. because he's a champion. And Art Carney, of yeah, course. And Art Carney, yeah. of course, yeah. 
one of the best tech of bananas ever. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so why, so why did you write about, I'm sorry, why did you write about her? Why did you write about Audrey Meadows? So I started watching The Honeymooners when I was living in New York, and I had Pix11, and Pix11 has been playing The Honeymooners basically since it aired in 1955. So, you know, Saturday nights, I would be bored and just flipping through the channels, and I came across The Honeymooners. There was just something about Audrey Meadows and the way she could deliver those lines in that sarcastic tone that she was so great at. And that poker face that she had, uh, you know, when you're working with Jackie Gleason and Art Carney, I think most of us would be laughing hysterically at their errors and their mm-hmm. bloopers because they left those in. They just, they winged it. They did not rehearse all the time. They just went with it. Kind of like and we Audrey, do our own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, well, Jackie Gleason said that's the best way to do it. Yeah, so. well, but, uh, Audrey could just stand there and she could just, you know, she wouldn't even flinch. But she always had the best comeback. So I watched her and I just thought, you know, what, what's her story? What was her life about? And then I started researching her and it's basically been, I'm still researching her about six years now, I guess. And she really had a remarkable life. She was the daughter of a missionary. So she spent the first five years of her life in China. And then she came back and um, she became a trained color tourist singer. And then she was on Broadway with Phil Silvers and she just, she knew exactly who she was and what she wanted to do. And she did not take no for an answer. And that includes getting the role of, of Alice Cramden on the honeymooners because Jackie Gleason, he turned her down at first. He said, you're way too young and too pretty to be Alice. And then she had some photos made of her looking just dowdy, like right after she woke up in the morning, and she had her agent deliver them to Jackie Gleason. And he didn't even recognize her. <laughs> he, said, he said, I don't know who this is, but she has to be Alice Cramden. Oh. And so then she got the role. And on top of that, she was a brilliant businesswoman. She was the only one out of the four stars to get residuals from the, from the honeymooners. She was actually the first entertainer, first actress to receive residuals from any television show. So she was very astute as a businesswoman. And then she was the wife of the CEO of Continental Airlines, Robert F. Six. Mm-hmm. And she designed the interior of DC pens, 747. Really? I didn't know that. They traveled. Yeah. They traveled all over the world. She met kings, queens, popes. And then they were good friends with Ronald Reagan, Richard and Pat Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, Lady Bird Johnson. She just lived a really remarkable life. And she was incredibly um, humble and gracious. She never wanted to make a big fuss. And then I was really fortunate to connect with a co-star of hers named Lydia Cornell, who herself is just, she is a wonderful, smart, funny woman, great actress, advocate. And we've had some great conversations about Audrey and she just adored her. And then I've talked to other people and she's a lady that you just don't really hear anybody say anything bad about her. Mm -hmm. But she also, she's not, you know, she's not Lucille Ball. She's not on that same level of, of fame as Lucille Ball. But I think that she was just so good as an actress and she, you know, she, she was confident in herself as an actress, but she also knew there was a lot more to life. 
And so she was, she went after it. She just saw herself doing all these great things and, and living a life and making wonderful memories. And, and she really lived life to the fullest. And she's, I think I've enjoyed researching her probably just as much as anyone. Well, we want people to read that book. Definitely. Where are you going to? Yes, and there, will be, and there will be more articles to come on Audrey as well. Okay, great. Wonderful. Now yeah. I'm going to move on to our next question because I know we're getting kind of uh, short on time. Um, but we see that you're writing for Music Voice on Medium. Can you share with us what that's all about? That is the latest publication that I'm writing for. And I write for a lot of um, historical publications on Medium. Uh-huh. But since I've moved to Nashville and I started researching Loretta and getting back into that classic country music and, and researching those great stars, I just wanted to find an outlet to publish these articles. And um, so Medium, Music Voices, is this great publication where people write about all kinds of things, not uh-huh. just not just people in music history, but songs. So I have a whole list of artists that I've been researching. Um, lately, it's been Charlie Pride. I've been researching Charlie Pride. Um, I have a couple others, Loretta Lynn, Porter Wagner, just other stars from that great era in country music that I'm going to be writing on and publishing articles. So look forward to that. Oh, it Definitely. You know, we're going to, I think it's time for you to ask your Oh, okay. We're going to go there. Question. Okay. Because we, we asked too many questions before, I think. Yeah, but this has been a great interview. Go it's on. been a fabulous interview. So now we're going to ask you the question we ask all of our guests, which is if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> oh, for me, that yeah, that changes weekly for me. Honestly, someone that I've been thinking about lately is Maya Angelou. And um, I read a quote of hers yesterday, and I'm, I can't quote it verbatim, mm-hmm. but it, it was something to the effect of we... Let's see, hold on. Give me one second. Yeah, yeah. It. No worries. We admire, yeah, we, yeah, we admire the beauty of a butterfly, but we don't take time to think about the evolution of that beauty. Mm. People have to look that up. That's a great quote. And actually, we did look it up because we did a a podcast on the monarch butterfly, and I believe you used that quote. Well, no wonder I like it, (laughs) because it's like, yes. Yeah, that's an excellent quote. That's right. I forgot about that. We used it in that episode because it was such a perfect quote. Yeah, it is. And it's applicable to all of us. Yeah. And, And just to think about her story, of course, and her difficult childhood and how she became who she was and just the beauty of her words and her writing. Uh, you know, as a writer, of course, I don't write exactly the same type of books and poetry like she did, but uh-huh. still, it's just really the beauty in her words and the beauty in, in her soul. Inspirational. I so I was really, yeah, exactly. I would love to sit down and talk to her and just talk about writing and, and her memories and how she overcame so much that she did overcome in her life. It's amazing what you can do if you stick to it and yeah. believe in yourself. Absolutely. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, Holly, you talked about that very insightfully, I might say. Yeah, very much so. You know, I hate to do this, but mm-hmm. 
Uh, Holly, both Angie and I were excited to have you as a guest, and uh, both of us knew you were going to have some fascinating stories to share. Uh, Plus, I know there were many articles that you've written that we did not have a chance to discuss. So maybe next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you uh, you shared a lot. Very insightful. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun, and I really admire what you guys are doing. This is a great podcast, and thank you so much for spotlighting some really remarkable creative people. I don't know how I fit into some of these categories, but I'm really glad that you had me on. Well, you're you're very creative. You're very articulate. You're very interesting. So, and all that, we always try to pick people that make us look good. <laughs> and you made and you made us look I love great. <laughs> exactly. Am I getting paid for this? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank well, you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for the interesting stories of of the famous people, and you know we all know about these people but we don't know much about them personally so thank you for making them a little more human and uh, sharing their stories and um, I know that now I need to let everyone know if you'd like to know more about Holly Snaith we will have links for her under the show gas tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her and please connect with her on social media and check out her website. Yeah, check out her website. Then you can find some of her articles or things that she has written. Thank right. you so much. Thank you, Holly. Thank you so much, guys. It was wonderful. Bye-bye. 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 I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, and all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. <laughs> <laughs>